So I want to do a podcast here, and uh, it's a very personal one to me. It's not about country music, it's not about writing, it's not about any of those things. In fact, it's it's about my dad. <laughs> it's about the Merchant Marines. And um, I wanted to write a book about my dad. So I spent probably the past six, seven years compiling information on the Merchant Marine Academy, on his life, on a bunch of other aspects of my father. Born in 1927, you know, he was that great generation, so to speak. And I want to take half an hour at least to talk about him. Of course, we already used a minute of that time up without even saying anything. So I'll get to it real quick. I'm inspired to do this. I have this all written down. And today, a neighbor of mine just passed away. We've had this horrible heat wave. And he was a World War II veteran in the Air Force. Without going into detail about it... uh, Man, you know, I'm seeing these older guys dying off, and these stories aren't being told. On my mom's side of the family, uh, my grandfather on that side, he was with World War II, the night fighters. And there was a gentleman that compiled a whole cache of reports and personal accounts of people. I don't have that with my dad. I have a few videos that survived, and as I go to write this book, it occurs to me that I'm missing huge parts of my dad's life. You have to figure, he was born in 1927, I was born in 1978. One of the good things is longevity is in our family. One of the bad things, I have 50 years of his life that I really don't know the entire context, the story of it. What I know is this. The name wasn't Sima, it was Kosh. And going back to 1850s, his grandfather had been a Russian Cossack. If the Ukrainian Cossacks. And they kind of got caught in this, this area where they were fighting to protect the Russians and not fight with them and fight with the Polish. And they wound up being everybody's brute force. So... When the Tsar fell, a lot of my people were being genocide. And my uh, great-grandfather came over, and he had been a colonel in the Cossack army. Very wealthy man. And he came over here during the Great Depression, that time period. He died in 1927, the year my dad was born. So it was a little bit before that, but he died <laughs> my great grandfather died drinking vodka trying to derail a train by his bare hands by the cow catcher John Kosh okay so my grandfather when he came over met my grandmother on my dad's side he was a coal miner and to get into that aspect this history of Portage, Pennsylvania in that time frame 
It was very broken down by ethnic groups. You had the Catholics, you had the different groups of Catholics, uh, the people that were um, different ethnicities. And so my father grew up in this atmosphere, these coal miners. And you know, my, my grandfather, this, this is me talking, this is about the Merchant Marines, but I'm talking to my dad where he came from. Other people may have a totally different background from it and still be about the Merchant Marines. Service is not about politics so much. But I want to give you the aspect of, you know, my dad grew up and it was union mining. And you were in a union, you had three pictures on the wall. You had Jesus Christ, you had John, John L. Lewis, and you had FDR. If you, if you go through Appalachia, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, that was that was the thing. And these people were tough, hardworking men. So, you're looking at a time period here where my dad grew up. His father was a coal miner. It was basically slavery. And that's, that's no lie. I'm not making it up. These people were brought over from Europe. And they were promised the world. And they got nothing. They worked for these big robber barons. So the unions meant a, meant a great deal to them. And my dad grew up. And uh, let me see here. He worked with his dad in a Sonman mine. My dad had... The year he graduated, he had a cousin that was going to work for the Yankees. He was going to be a pitcher, really phenomenal baseball player. It so happened, I'm looking here, Sonoma Mine Explosion occurred July 15th, 1940. And uh, 63 miners died out of the estimated 90 trapped in the mine explosion uh, slope called the right number 16 heading. And... Um, it's one of the worst mine explosions, disasters in the U.S. And my dad's cousin passed away that would have been a uh, big person for the Yankees. His, this, his cousin's father. whole family's lost all this. So my dad sat, about, sat and thought about it. And he said, you know, the hell with this. <laughs> and he decided he wanted to be a priest. So he goes to be a priest, and you know, he's got the calling. And if he, if he, I have, a, I have a tape of him telling the story. It's so much better. So he goes, and he goes through. He gets the little briefcase they give you. That's like a little paper at, uh, briefcase, and he goes through with it for a while. He had a friend of his, Stevie Herrillo, that did become a priest. At that point in time, in the Byzantine religion the priest can marry but they changed that <laughs> my dad goes to a movie theater and he sees all these cute little girls wearing these short skirts and he says you know I don't think this is for me so he went from an area you didn't have a lot of opportunity doesn't want to work in the mines he sees the things that can happen there He doesn't want to be a priest. And my Aunt Annie, her husband was a ship captain on um, 
World War II was just breaking out. And he, he said, hey, Pete, he says, uh, why don't I get you in the Merchant Marines? He says, be a good, good uh, venture for you. So that was my dad's first venture into the Merchant Marines. And they have this U.S. Merchant Marine Combat Veteran information here that my dad compiled for me. And what happened was, you know, my dad wound up, he, uh, his cousin had passed away, and he turned yellow. His skin turned this weird color yellow. It was jaundice. And he had pancreatic cancer, we found out eventually. And it was inoperable. So I spent a whole summer taking care of him. And one night when he was having a really rough time, it starts to poison your body. I came down, I saw him in front of the... He's on, sitting on the floor here, just sitting on the floor. And I, I looked at him, I said, uh, Hey, uh, you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he had this, this uh, binder I have here. And I didn't think twice, I put it away. And what he was doing was compiling all of his Merchant Marine and Korean War information for me to keep. I thought he was not dealing well with it. But he was. He was compiling all this for me to find. And among this is his DD-214, Homeland Security with the Coast Guard, because that's what the Merchant Marines fell under. And all this information where they never got their just compensation, which would have been, uh, I believe, Senate Bill S-663. Related thank you to the Merchant Marine War Mariners of World War II of Act of 2009. And it uh, never got passed because these people were promised, the Merchant Marines were promised that they would have full military benefits and after World War II, you know, Roosevelt passed away. Uh, the War Shipping Administration in January of uh, 1946. And none of it was funded for them. Since then, um, Donald Trump has passed something where they get a little star or something. It's, it's a start. I won't give my opinion on that. It's not giving these men the recognition they want. So I'm not saying a whole lot about it. I'm not here to make a political statement. I'm here to talk about these men. These great, great men. And the stories that will never be told. Um, I have a whole list in here. Ships that my dad was on. As I'm going through it, here's the Homeland Security one. The value and often valiant service of the United States Merchant Marine has long been recognized. General Douglas MacArthur said, I hold no branch in higher esteem than the Merchant Marine Service. And I, ha I have all this here. I have all the ships he was on, all the manifests of the Black Diamond, 
after the war, before the war, you name it. The Merchant Marines have the highest casualty rate of any branch of the service. They were bringing cargo in a lot of times without any protection. And that was my father's first instance as a Merchant Marine. I'm 12 minutes and 30 seconds in, and I haven't even gotten to that. But, imagine this kid. He's just out of school. And by school, I mean um, Kings Point, where the Merchant Marines teach from. And he's gone through all this, learning how to tie different knots. He's learned all the rigging, everything. And the first ship he goes out on, they're within sight of New York Harbor. And at that time, the German U-boats were around. And a torpedo hits the ship. So it goes down, and there's thankfully not a lot of loss of life. But they're in these uh, lifeboats, and they give you these fishing, <laughs> this little fishing kit. And this is my old man. This is my dad. He loved fishing. And you couldn't make him happier. And the reality of it is that these people are saying, you know, that in the U.S. military, they're in these ships, and hey, we can't go out and get these guys because they sank this ship, and these U-boats are going to wait, wait there for about a week. And they're going to just circle these, these life rafts, and they're going to sink anybody that comes to rescue them. So they're going to have to surface eventually, so give it about a week. But a lot of these men didn't know that. And they started freaking out. They started getting scared. They started getting upset. Well, my dad, <laughs> he said, I'm going to go fishing. So he had these little bit of, uh, they gave him a little bit of uh, bait. He catches the first fish. And, you know, saltwater fish you can eat. Or at that time, at New York Harbor, you could eat it. So he's catching all these fish and taking a little bit of the meat from them and catching more fish. And It wound up being he had a good time. He took a really miserable situation and turned it into a good time. His first ship didn't even... He could still see the skyscrapers. And he said, you know, you're out in this life raft and you're watching... <laughs> you're slowly drifting down the coast. And you're hoping that they know where you're at. And they are. And he said, you don't know. And he said, it's very nerve-wracking. Very nerve-wracking. And so he learned at that time, you don't have a lot of control over, your, over what's going on with you. But he wound up enjoying the Merchant Marines... In World War II, more than he did in Korea. Korea was an awful thing. He was a POW. Uh, he was in the Army. He had, he had a lot of bad experiences. But he always spoke fondly about the Merchant Marines. And I could never get him to talk about it. His brother John had been a Marine, gunny sergeant at uh, Saipan and Chozon Reservoir. And he was a tough tough marine. He was my dad's hero. My dad always looked up to John, and John would never talk about it. And you know, um, my uncle John, 
I saw one talking to this guy one time, and he says, you know, you're Uncle John. Your whole family. So your Uncle John the one day was at the bar. He came out, walked across the intersection. His car hit him. He flipped, did three flips on the ground, got up, gave the driver the middle finger, and kept walking. He says, what in the hell was he? I says, he was a Marine. So, you know, my dad always looked very highly upon his uncle, his brother John, my Uncle John. And neither of these men would speak about any of this because it was, it was a very traumatic part of their life. And there wasn't the help that there is now. So my dad, you get a few beers in him, you could maybe get him to talk about it. And he'd say to me, you know, look, I really don't want to discuss this. He says, you know, I'd be on a ship, have a good friend. I need a lot of good friends. I need a lot of enemies, too, but he had a lot of good friends. He said, I'm on a ship, and this guy, I'm just talking to him, you know, and then all of a sudden, uh, a couple times, Kamikaze would hit the ship, and the guy's dead, and the ship goes down. I think he was on, like, three or four ships that went down. That was the danger of being a merchant marine. That was the danger of it. And he said, you know, here I am now. At the time, he was in his 80s. And he said, I'm 80-some years old. I'm looking back at my whole life. And he said, here was a gentleman I knew that was 20 years old that died that day. And I really don't know how to express it to you. He said, I don't want to really act like war is this wonderful thing. It's not. He said, it's the worst thing you could ever go through. It should be avoided at all costs. And he said, here I am with 60 years on top of that guy's life. And I really can't even tell you what it's about. So, you get him to talk a little bit. And he would tell you these stories about how one time, he's, mainly what he would talk about things he enjoyed. The dolphins jumping off the front of the ship. And he'd sit there and just see them following the front of the ship. Or one time he looked up and there was a city in the, in the clouds. And it was a reflection of a city somewhere else. It was a fraction of light. He had a lot of experiences on there. With his Merck manual, he was like the, the guy people went to to be like a doctor. And it renewed his faith in humanity. All these people he met. He, he sailed on their ships with Jack Kerouac. He later became a writer that I've enjoyed, that I've patterned myself after. And he had all these drawings that Jack Kerouac had done. Simple pencil drawings, pen drawings. And, you know, Jack, Jack was French, so... My dad developed a love for cognac. And at that time, after the war, in Bonn, he could get cognac very cheaply. And his thing was he would help people out that he saw that were downtrodden. He, he met a lot of really great women <laughs> and uh, had experiences. He fell in love. He never used anybody. But he would see somebody that was downtrodden. He would buy a carton of cigarettes off the ship and take them and resell them and make maybe $50 on them and give them to the people and say, hey, here, you know. 
Can I do anything to help you out? He learnt what he had grown up all his life, understanding what compassion meant. Um, there was a time he met a young boy in India. It was in uh, Sri Lanka. The young boy was named Haji. And they bound this young boy's legs when he was a baby. So he'd be a cripple and a beggar. And uh, he met this young boy. And obviously by the time they had taken the boundings off his legs, he was crippled. And the young boy knew his way around pretty well. My dad was, you know, he bought some things made out of ivory. bought a couple gold rings and that for my grandmother. And he said, uh, hey, Haji, he says, you know, you really know your, your way around. You know, I'm going to give you $20. I want your address. So this, this young man gave him his address. And my dad would send him so much money every day. And he would tell everybody there around, hey, if you're around here, see Haji. And the young man went from being a beggar to taking some of the money my dad would send him as if he was like a son to my dad and built a tourist uh, company and became a very wealthy man from it. So my dad could see the essence of what people had gone through and all these ships, all these things he'd been through. New York Harbor. But he was also a tough man. And if you had a problem with him, you didn't fight on the ship. He acquired the name On the Dock Sima because he settled it on the dock. And he had a mean right hook. We're down at the bar one time. He belonged to this club for like 40, 50 years. And things started getting bad. There's a new crowd coming in. And people had stolen money off of him. So he left. He turned in his membership card. And he was like about in the 70s at the time. And this guy comes out and goes to give him some trouble. And my dad just with one punch knocked the guy out cold, laying flat. And he said, okay, we're leaving. These, these were tough men in these days. So, you know, the merchant marines... You look at all their casualty rates. You look at what these men went through. It's easy to say, hey, this, why did they do this? Uh, this is true service. And be it from whatever background they came from, they all kind of meshed as a brotherhood. They all had the same aspirations seeing this great war going on, seeing this horrible thing that Hitler was doing and the Japanese were doing and realizing that their fight meant something, this great sense of cause and sacrifice. You, you can't put a value on that. So when they're talking about just compensation, and they're talking about in these, these papers I read, giving them a medal, uh, giving them a pension. You owe these men, we owe these men a lifetime of that. And a lot of them have died off. You know, my father passed away and none of this ever happened. He never, never got to see a penny of it. Not that he wanted it. 
but he wanted recognition. And the Merchant Marines mean a lot to me. I Anything I see, if I'm out at a flea market, as stupid as it sounds. I, ne I never served in the Merchant Marines. I, my father was a Merchant Marine, served in the Army. My uncle was a gunny sergeant in the Marine Corps. My older brother served in Vietnam. I'm probably the only person in my family that hasn't served. I ran charities for veterans. I was a 9-11 ambassador working on projects for Jessica Lynch and other people, or POWs, because of the fact that I knew my father had been one. I too felt that drive that nobody else is doing this except for me. And now I'm glad to see a lot of the younger people were picking it up. They're paying their dues. And I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to see that. But, you know, I grew up with this, this idea of service growing up with this great generation aspect that you went out and you, you did things for the greater good. And these men are dying off. And, you know, they want to give them a medal. Anywhere I see anything with the Merchant Marines, I, I buy it. I'm, I'm, I, I cling to it. I have a gold watch that I, I got that was a Merchant Marine watch. And I, I wear it with pride. Every time I look at it, I think of my dad. Because that was not something to totally define his life by. But it reminds me just of what that service meant. How many men died that he knew that didn't come back? Their stories should be told. I'm encouraging anybody out there, if you have any, for a lot of these kids to be grandparents or great-grandparents that served, write down their stories, record them, if they'll let you. Don't be pushy, you know, they, they've been, it, it's, it's not something a lot of people want to talk about. It's not a, war is not a good thing. But the character of these men, that's what you want to remember. When my father passed away, a lot of these stories for this book I wanted to write. I have it in front of me. I have the whole outline. I can tell it in my own way, and it's, it's wonderful, but it's just going to be what this outline says. It's not him telling it. I know from his hometown, how it was growing up at that time, it's a piece of Americana that's never going to be again. It, to me, is something that I would rather just talk like I am now about it. And I've only talked about probably one hundredth of what I have here. I just want to get the gist of it out there. Because with this gentleman dying that I knew that was a neighbor of mine, it makes me realize how few of these people are left. Don't don't forget their sacrifices. If there's somebody in a store wearing a veteran hat and they're walking a little too slow for you, give them give them the right away. Give them the time. If there's somebody, if you're working in a nursing home, and there's somebody's very alone and their wife had died and you see medals on there, 
wall. Take the time. Listen to their stories. There's still a young man in there somewhere that reached out and dreamed, sacrificed, lived an entire lifetime to want to make the world a better place. In all the charities I've done and everything, I've not done it for my own recognition. I've done them very much the opposite, but I did them because of my stories with my dad, you know, my uncle, my brother. These, these are true men. You want to know what a man is, you look at those people. You, you look at how they took a country going through a depression, turned it around, and built all these ships and took down what by far the German army was the most powerful well-recruited army at the time well-armed that's the America I think of and I wanna end here thinking of those men this short little podcast I've made Merchant Marines deserve our respect they deserve every penny that they are deserved and um, I hope I live long enough to see pensions in if not their pockets the ones of their families it's not asking a whole lot any veteran there's good and bad everywhere there's people that I don't agree with but respect is well late deserved Please give it to them. Thank you for your time.